So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Uh, and this, this first part of chapter 2 of Philippians is a great exhortation that Paul gives to the Philippians to be united, to be one, and to be humble, and to look to each other's interests. And we're going we're gonna to look a bit this morning at what Paul is saying in that, and we're going to work our way in to focus on verses 3 and 4, where it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. But before we get to that bit of context, the letter to the Philippians, I think it's a, it's a fantastic letter to read through. It's great stuff. Me and Ben were just talking very briefly at the beginning how, yeah, Philippians, it's a great, it's great stuff. It's so, it's so incredible what Paul writes here. But it's, it's Paul writing it to, uh, the believers in Philippi, which was a, a Roman colony, uh, which is in, which would be today in the northeastern part of Greece. Uh, uh, but it was, it was described as being in the region of Macedonia. And Paul is writing from prison. He refers to that in chapter 1 of Philippians. He talks of the palace guard and being in chains for Christ. Uh, and it's most likely that he was writing from prison in Rome, ready to face trial before Caesar, knowing that from that trial, the, the outcome would basically be life or death. But despite Paul's predicament, he writes this letter full of encouragement, full of thanksgiving and full of joy. A great example of that scene right in the beginning of chapter 1 in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He's, re- he's joyful, he's thankful. And that, that theme bubbles on through the letter. He's, he, keeps, he keeps remarking to the Philippians, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. He's he brings great encouragement out of a place of where he is in perhaps a really hard place. So it's an encouraging letter, and I believe it's meant to encourage us today as we look at these verses. So this passage begins, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. 
So Paul's bringing this exhortation to the Philippians to be united, be like-minded, have the same love, be one in spirit and purpose. And what we see in this first couple of verses is Paul doesn't take this lightly. This isn't, he sees it as an important thing. It's not some kind of tagged on adult. He's not, well, guys, by the way, you're doing a pretty good job following Jesus. It's, I've seen you've got real faith. You're doing well. But, you know, just if you've got a moment, kind of just, uh, there's a few arguments going on. It's not, it's not great. I mean, it's not massively important, but you might want to get to it at some point. No, no. Make my joy complete by being, being of the same mind. He's, he sees this as a very big thing. And you might see if you're following in your own Bibles, uh, many versions, including the most recent edition of the NIV, uh, start the passage, therefore, if you have any encouragement. Uh, we can see that this passage is following on from what Paul's already started at the end of chapter 1, where he says this in verse 27, one, chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And Paul, Paul's urging them there to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, to live, to live for Jesus. And Paul knows that if they do, he will know that they stand firm in one spirit. As one man, we see that this unity that Paul's calling them to is not a mere nice add-on, but it's, it's fundamental to living for God. But this makes sense, doesn't it? Because we know what God is doing is calling a people. He's building a family. It's not just individuals who happen to meet together, but a body of believers. And if you've, if you've been with us over recent months, we've heard Mark taking us through the story of Abraham and heard how right back then God calls Abraham and gives him this great promise. Uh, so in Genesis chapter 12, we see the beginning of that. I'll get to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, right at the beginning of that, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then again, in in, in Genesis 15, just a couple of chapters on, verse 5, God calls Abraham to come out of the tent, and he says to them, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So God's giving Abraham this great promise that he's going to build a people through him. He's going to, he's going to make this great giant family, as it were. All of Abraham's offspring, these masses of offspring. And if we jump into the New Testament, we see that God's ultimate purpose for that, for the fulfillment of that promise, as, as Mark has been, uh, has been telling us, the massive uh, fulfillment of that promise to Abraham is through the church in Christ. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 26. Should find Galatians. It's only two two books before Philippians, but here we are. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Christ, we as the, son, as the church are the people that God is building for himself, that he promised to Abraham. We're, we're sons of God. We are in his family, in Christ. And Paul, Paul stresses this, that unity is important to, to the Philippians because he's got hold of what God is building. God is building his church, his people together. He's not just calling individual believers. He's building a church, a body. Paul refers to it as a body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Again, Paul's highlighting that we're not just individuals loosely affiliated, all members of the same club. But here we see with the body of Christ, who one day will be presented as his pure spotless bride, as Dan's told us about recently as well. So he stresses to the Philippians that unity is really important. This is a, this is a key issue. Now, Paul may also see, he's seeing something of a lack of unity. He sees that there's something going on in Philippi that he's, he's not particularly happy about. In, in chapter 4, we read about that. He says, chapter 4, verse 2, in Philippians, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. So he sees that there's, there is a disagreement going on. He doesn't want these things to kind of catch on. But he also sees around him in Rome that there's, there's a, there's, there's a bit of disunity going on there as well. And he says in chapter 1, verse 15, talking about what's going on around him, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, God, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So here, Paul, Paul's still rejoicing. The gospel's going out. It's great. It's amazing. It, by whatever motive, the gospel's being preached. It's great. But he's seeing, this isn't, they're not united. They're not joined. Some, some, are, some are doing it for good, out of love. And they're going for it. Some, they're looking for their own aims. They're, they're selfish. They're, they're looking to stir up trouble. And, and Paul wants the Philippians to be different. He wants them to be united together. And it's important as we move into these verses, verse 3 and 4, which we're going to focus on, where Paul looks at their attitudes. We've already seen of the, Roman, the people in Rome, there's some acting out of selfish ambition. And Paul looks at that. It's important that we realize what God is doing. God is building us as a people and so, as I said, we're going to focus our attention on these two verses, verse 3 and 4, where Paul moves to talking about the attitudes that he wants, that he wants them to avoid and the, the attitudes that he wants them to have for their mindset. So here we are again, verse, 
Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And now, as when I was preparing, as I read these verses, my mind was drawn fairly quickly to the TV show The Apprentice. I'm not sure why. Now, I've not seen an awful lot of The Apprentice over the years, but I've seen enough to know that in general, during the show, the contestants are not really paying much attention to these verses. There's not a great deal of humility on display, and there's certainly plenty of selfish ambition. So I thought I'd, quite, I thought I'd bring a few select quotes from different contestants on The Apprentice. They'll remain anonymous. You might remember who they were. So here's the first one. Some people may come to this process with a game plan. I just feel my effortless superiority will take me all the way. Next one. I'm like a shark, right at the top of the food chain. I take what I want, when I want. And then, I truly am the reflection of perfection. Okay. And the final one. Very simple. My positive approach and very good looks will make me stand out from the crowd. And we might say the contestants on The Apprentice can seem a bit extreme at times, but... In our culture, it can often be a bit like that. We can be, we're encouraged to stand out from the crowd often. We're encouraged to look out for number one. To big ourselves up. When we, kind of the whole process of going for a job, we've got to make ourselves look that we're, we're, we're the one you want. I'm the one you want. I've got it. I've, I've got everything you need. To have confidence in ourselves. But here, Paul calls the Philippians Not to act out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility to value others above themselves. I had a quick look up of a dictionary definition of humility. I found this. The quality or condition of being humble. Modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance or rank. And, or if we look in the Bible, this is how Romans 12 puts it. Romans chapter 12 verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And I remember when Arnold preached that passage back in, it was back in March last year, and he put it like this, and the, the download on the church website is still titled with this, with this phrase, have a high view of God. A realistic view of self and a right view of others. On The Apprentice, the view is, I'm the best. It's all about me. And here we see, I know, God's the best. It's all about him. Or, God's the best. It's not about me. Paul's saying, in humility, value others above ourselves. He's not saying that we should go around all falsely modest. No, 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 no. You're, you're far better than all of that than me. I, I shouldn't do any of it because you're, you're just much better, clearly. You do a much better job than me, than I ever could. But it's about having a right view of ourselves. Understanding that it's not all about me. I'm not the best. And so out of that, we can love one another, serve one another, 
and look out for each other's interests. But Paul talks specifically of motivations. He said, not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So in this, Paul's not, Paul's saying, us being united is not just about doing the right thing, joining in with the right activities, but about our heart. We referred to it before, but when he's talking about the Romans in Philippians chapter 1, in that passage, uh, chapter 1, verse 15 to 18, he talks of the brothers in Rome. He's, they've, they've been encouraged by Paul's, Paul's being in prison to speak the word of God boldly. But we saw when we read that a minute ago, some, some, are, some are going for it. They love Paul. They love God. They're going for it. And they're, yeah, we're going to spread the word. But others, they're doing it out of selfish ambition. They're looking, oh, we can stir up some trouble here. We'll preach the gospel, but we're not bothered about Paul. But on the surface level, it may have looked in Rome, actually, the gospel's being preached. They're all going together. They're preaching the gospel. There's unity there, isn't there? But actually, Paul can see, no, this isn't it. Some are preaching out of selfish ambition. They're not all united in love. They're not all... Going with the same heart. So what Paul's saying there is, we can't just, we can't just toe the line by doing the right thing. God's looking at, at why? Why are we doing it? How, what is our motivation? What's our heart? Romans 12 also tells us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Here Paul's encouraged the Philippians to be of the same mind and have the same love. What Paul's looking for it's a change of mindset. So we get away from this, it's all about me attitude that we see on The Apprentice and maybe around us in the world. But get into a mindset that puts God first and values those around us. Not just doing the right things, but changing our hearts and minds. But it can be easy for our motives to get skewed, for us to look for our own gain as we serve, not... Not just serving, oh yeah, I really, God, I really just want to do this for your glory. But to, to, to get into that position of, of just wanting to be noticed. Wanting to, wanting to get something out of it for ourselves. And I remember, maybe a year or two after I came to Sheffield as a student. So back in about 2002, 2003. We're about to go on the, uh, the student weekend away. Which at that time, if anyone remembers, was at Bainland. In Lincolnshire, anyone remember going to Bainland? Yes, not many. Anyway, Bainland was amazing. And uh, Dan was leading the student work at the time. He, he came to me a few weeks before and said, oh, oh, "Rich, would you would you like to to lead some worship at the weekend away?" Okay, yeah. So it was me, me and Pete Mylon uh, led some worship that weekend. I thought, oh yeah, that'd be good. And so I did. It, it went fine. It was great. But there was part of me at the time that was thinking, aha, here we go. I have been noticed. My occasional efforts to strum very badly at student group have led to me being picked out. If I do all right over the weekend, maybe, maybe, maybe this will lead somewhere. Maybe event, maybe I'll be leading on a Sunday morning soon. So we went away and we came back. And uh, certainly at that time, 
I wasn't asked to lead worship on a Sunday morning. And time went on, and on, and on. And then thoughts started coming, what's going on? Why am I being overlooked? And it was there, in the back of my mind. I'd gone wanting to serve at the weekend away, but in the back of my mind there was this sense of, yeah, but it's going to lead somewhere. I'm going to, there's going to be something for me. I'm going to get on to something else. And that actually went on for a while. That attitude was in me. And I'm thinking, oh, why am I not being picked? Why, oh, do you see someone else lead? Oh, they're doing it. Why, what have they done that I haven't done? Until God got through to me. It's not about you. And it isn't. It's about him. And his plans, his purposes, his glory. Paul's challenging our motives here. He's aware that if we let these motives slip in, if we're acting out of our own selfish ambition, if we want to be the one who's noticed and uh, the one who's picked all the time, then actually we just end up, we end up resentful or feeling overlooked. Or actually if we're picked, we feel, ha-ha, look at me, I'm the one. We get conceited. And we end up not purely doing things for God's glory, but actually for our own self-promotion. And actually our relationships with each other become ones of jockeying for position, ones of competition, not the relationships of love and unity that God wants for us. And actually we see this jockeying for position amongst the disciples, and we see Jesus' response to it as well. First, uh, we'll turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And then also in Matthew chapter 20, we see the story where James and John come with their mother and uh, they come up and, and mum asks, oh Jesus, when you get to glory, can my boys be on your left and your right? Can they have the best places, in other words? But Jesus replies in Matthew 20, verse 22. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for my, by my father. And when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' reply in both instances is actually very similar. It's not about your position and your glory. He calls them to serve one another, to love one another. He, he draws attention to the fact the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. No, no, not, with, not so with you. 
If you want to be the first, if you want to be the great, you need to be the servant of all. And it's what Paul is saying here. Don't do things looking for your own gain. Don't do it out of selfish ambition. Don't think that you're great doing it out of vain conceit. But serve one another. Love one another. Look to each other's needs and not just your own. And this teaching has some application also in times of trial and opposition. It's not just when we're stepping out in faith in, in something new. And we see, we see that in that, the preceding section at the end of Philippians 1, which we read earlier. We see the context that Paul's writing to in Philippi. It's one where they're facing opposition. So in verse 27, at the end of verse 27, he says, I will know you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And then a bit later on, verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And perhaps sometimes it can be the case, when we face something together, some, a big, Something big that's happened. Oh, It can actually be at those times when we do pull together the most. And this love for one another is actually expressed all the more. We've seen over the last months as a church pulling together, loving one another. But actually, when we're facing different things, maybe, maybe we're facing something. Or maybe someone else is facing something. We can get very focused on ourselves. It's easy to slip into focusing on ourselves and our, maybe our hardship or what we're facing. And we can get to attitudes of, why me? What about everyone else? They've got it easy. And in that sense, to look only to our own interests. In John 21, there's perhaps a suggestion of that attitude in Peter. In the heat of the moment, as he hears what Jesus is saying. In John 21, uh, Jesus reinstates Peter after, his, after Peter betrays him. And he, he has that whole section where he asks him three times, do you love me? And then he tells him to go and feed his, feed his, feed his lambs, feed his sheep, to, to look after his people. And then in verse 18, it says this, Jesus talking to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. But Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And perhaps we can see in Peter's question, maybe there's a bit of concern there. He said, actually, oh, what about John as it is? What about him? Yeah. But actually, Jesus' response suggests that there's something in Peter's Attitude there that's saying, no, no, hang on, you're saying this about me, I'm going to suffer this death, what about him? Jesus comes back, no, 
you follow me. Don't concern yourself with comparing how easy or how hard others have it compared to you. You follow me. When we face trials, it can be hard. It's tough. There, there may be grief. There may be all sorts of things. But Paul doesn't want us to get drawn. And Jesus here doesn't want us to get drawn into getting bitter or self-pitying. To actually, in, our, in what we're going through and in the grief and in the hardness of it, to get drawn into, oh, why is this happening to me? Why is it, why is it not happening to them? Not to get bitter and turn, turn into ourselves. And actually, Paul, in writing this letter to the Philippians, in writing this very section to the Philippians, is actually giving us a great example of doing what he says. Let's get back to Philippians. Because we see, Paul's writing this letter, he's in prison in Rome. He's awaiting trial before Caesar, where he might, it might be that actually Caesar said, right, actually you've got to die. Paul knows that that's what's coming. And yet he writes to the Philippians and he's full of encouragement. He's full of joy. He's, he's rejoicing in the Lord for them and for what he sees around him. He's, he's not focused on, actually, I'm in prison. This is terrible. It's all gone wrong. And he says in this passage, make my joy complete. How? Oh, by, by helping me get out of prison. By, yeah, come to Rome and storm the prison, get me out. No. Not even, not even specifically by praying for me, by remembering me all the time. But come, pray for me, I need your prayers. No, no. Make my joy complete by being united. Loving one another. Paul's joy will be complete when he sees, actually, these guys are living for God and they're going for it and they're all united together. Wow, that's what makes him joyful. He's, he's realized, this isn't about me and about my, my position. He could have been thinking, hang on, I'm Paul. I've, I've done it, I've done all this, I've done all this stuff and yet now I find myself, I'm in prison. No, no, he realizes it's all about God and his glory. It's all about Christ. And lifting up his name. So, Paul exhorts the Philippians to be united as a church. To love each other. To consider each other's interests. To humbly value one another. And he he targets these attitudes. Don't do things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Which he he is so wonderfully modelling. And as we, whatever we're doing... We want to look, are we doing it for God's glory, for Christ's glory? Are we doing it to serve one another? Or are actually we looking, actually I'd, I'd like something for me out of this. And in fact, Paul, in this passage, he doesn't just leave us there with an instruction. He's not just saying, come on guys, do this. Get it, you need to be united, come on. Actually he brings us back to Christ. In fact, we didn't, I didn't look closely at verse 1 earlier on, but it starts with this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. And he's he's bringing it back to see that actually our relationships with each other and how we are with each other, it all springs out of our relationship with God, with Christ, our union with him, the Spirit at work in us. 
It's not about us striving really hard to, oh, I really need to love that person. I really need to do it. Uh, I've got, it's hard, but I've got to do it myself. It's not done by that. Paul's warning against these attitudes, and we can recognize them. But actually, it's God by his spirit who changes us and changes our hearts and minds to be more like him. And that's where Paul leaves us in this passage. In verse 5, we'll read this last chunk. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. It's a simple instruction in a way. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Basically, Paul's saying, this is what I mean. Have Jesus' mindset. And then he launches into this wonderful description of what Christ has done for us, which is a perfect example of what it is to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Uh, That Jesus... Jesus, who was God, who is God, stepped down. He didn't consider his position as something that he needed to cling on to or use to his advantage. He, he stepped down. He made himself nothing. He was God. He's God. And yet he stepped down, became a man. Humbling himself to the point of death for us and to fulfill what God had for him. So we're reminded in looking at it again, not just what an awesome example it is, but actually of what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. That in providing this example, we see what he, what he's achieved for us, that he died for me so that I may be united with God and with his people through his blood. And actually, you may be sitting here this morning, and actually when Paul's, Paul comes with these words, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you think, actually, no, I don't. No, I'm not. I, I don't know if I actually am united with Christ. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not sure. I think I'm on the outside looking in at this. I don't know if I'm part of this great body of Christ. Well, this last passage just shows what God has done for you. That he stepped down. He humbled himself. He took our sin, your sin, facing death on the cross. So that you can be free from sin and shame. And that you can be joined to God's family. And perhaps that, for you, was all that God wanted you to hear today. He's drawing you. You can respond to him today. You can be part of this body and be united with Christ. And for the rest of us, we are encouraged through being united with Christ. Amen? Then Paul calls us to be united, to love one another, 
to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others with more value than ourselves. And as we move into all that God has for us, through this time in these months of things changing, whatever's going to happen, whatever we may face, as we go to North together next week, a great opportunity to be together as one, to be, to, to show how much we love one another, but actually also a time when people can feel very on their own. Actually, it's, I don't know what, what for me, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. We can be humbly united and love one another there. So let's look to him to make us more like him. I thought it was great, Brian's word earlier from Isaiah 61. That we have a great commission. We have God's, Christ has given it to us to go. But let's go together. All of it. As it says at the end, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place. We're not going for our own glory, but for his. So as we go, let's go together united. And let's ask him to make us more like that and more like Christ in, as the spirit works in us.